0: Nowhere to live, nowhere to fall He used to have money, but he's wasted it all His face is a photograph burned in my mind but I pretend not to see him for the 21st time.
1: Welcome to Voices from the Street, the radio ministry of the Sacramento Union Gospel Mission. Prepare your heart for laughter and tears as we share the unpolished stories of the homeless and hurting, hope and transformation. Here's your host, director of the Union Gospel Mission, Pastor Tim Lane. Well, thank you once again for joining us.
0: I have again on air with me today, Tim Trenum, who is the, exe- he's not, I'm the executive director. He <laughs> happens to be the kitchen supervisor. And sometimes people get those things mixed up. Apparently, sometimes I get them mixed up too, but he's actually <laughs> the kitchen supervisor. I have known him for the last eight years. Isn't it eight years, Timothy? It is. Uh, believe it or not if you met him you would never realize that he actually went through the program at one time Uh, he had been a manager and a lot of different things in his life and that's also one of the fallacies uh, about the mission is that some people think that everybody who goes through our rehabilitation program is coming uh, from a, a background where they never made any money they never had this they never had that and that's not the case with Tim Tim had was successful in his field uh had a lot of people working for him at one time uh alcohol is probably one of the biggest destroyers of lives that's out there we often think of the big ones like methamphetamines and cocaine and heroin but you know what there's lots and lots of people who have never done cocaine or heroin or methamphetamines or just commonly referred to as meth out on the street right But there aren't very many people that have never experimented with alcohol. And alcohol is a very subtle kind of a trap because you can go along for years and you can have a drink at a party, you can can do this, you can either overindulge on the weekends and then you're pretty good during the week, but eventually it lures you in all the way. And for some people, it's the biggest trap of all. The other part of that is that when you're out to buy meth or you're out to buy cocaine or you're out to buy one of those things, you're going out there specifically to get high. Sometimes when a person takes a drink, they're not specifically going out to, to get high. The other part is at least so far, our fallen world is getting worse all the time. You can't go down to a store down the street and walk in and buy cocaine or heroin, but you can go anywhere, including grocery stores and, and gas stations and you can buy all kinds of of alcohol. And by the way, something that I hear and I think uh, Tim you could probably back me up on this. I have people sometimes that say, well, "No, I don't drink, just wine or beer." <laughs> <laughs> well, I got news for you. You can get just as drunk on wine and beer. Can you not, Timothy? You
2: absolutely can. Okay,
0: though. so your drug of choice was alcohol, right? It was. Uh, do you remember at all when, how you started that?
2: Actually, I can. It actually started when my father passed away. I My father was very abusive. And when I was 14, that was a sense of escape for me. And it was sneaking a beer or two from my dad's refrigerator. And because the abuse was so bad that that was... You know, it made me forget for a minute, if you will. And as years went on, of course, my father passed away, and then I took care of my mother. She passed away 14 months after that, and then that just kind of got the ball rolling. Um, I just didn't want to feel that. I had three deaths in 14 months, and, you know, my dad, my uncle, my mom, and I put my mom in the, in, in the ground on my 17th birthday, and I was just a mess. I, I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to accept, you know. And slowly, that's how my drinking started. I, I've pinpointed to that actual time when I was 17. It became daily, every other day, for years. I mean, years and years I drank. Uh, and like you said, it started off, I have a couple beers every other night or something. I was good. Uh, then I, I graduated high school, went to cows and then college. I didn't even finish college because I was drunk all the time. Uh, I was there a semester and a half. I left there and I just took off and went to California. And then that's where I just become an absolute drunk. I lived on the streets for six years in uh, West Hollywood, in Hollywood area, downtown Los Angeles, Skid Row. I lived down there for six years, and then I was arrested, and the ironic part was, I was arrested and I was passed out in a car and got arrested. (laughs) Never been in trouble with police or nothing, and I was drunk. My friend stopped at a construction site and was caught sticking a pipe threader in the back of the trunk at three in the morning. And the that's police, grand theft. Yeah. The police officer knocked at my window and woke me up. And next thing not, I'm being arrested for grand theft. Mm. So I never knew anything. So the, you know, the, uh, public defender says, uh, well, you know, you should plead guilty to this. I said, well, how can I plead guilty to something? I was passed out. Right. And the ironic part was like an idiot. He said, well, you can do seven years. I said, in where He said, prison. I said, Oh no, we, we, yeah. but he said, "But if you plead guilty, you do. You're going to do some jail time." Well, I didn't know no better, and I did plead guilty, and they gave me three years. I did a year and a half in prison. That you a know, lot
0: different than jail, huh?
2: It yeah. is, and that's something I'm not proud of. No, uh, that's not the person that I was raised to be. But that's where the alcohol had taken me. Because if I would have been coherent and not passed out in a car, I would never put myself in that position. I believe that. So, and then I became a functioning alcoholic. Got out of prison. I swore I'd never go back to jail, and I never got in trouble again with the police, and I've I've literally been a functioning alcoholic for 30 years
0: up until 7 or 8 years ago. Up until
2: 9 years ago, mm-hmm. right. Um there was an incident at my last job and I think it was God intervening in my life, I always would say, God has blessed me in spite of myself. Even though I was living not of Christ, he was continually to show himself periodically and stay in my life. And uh, I had a gentleman, a mechanic, that uh, one of the shuttle buses fell on him and killed him. And two years prior to that, i have been fighting at the corporate meetings for us to get lifts for these buses and... I took it all personally, I took it on myself, if I could have fought harder, I should have did this, I should have did that, and that was the start, I just, I went through everything in my truck and I was, went on a sabbatical and I literally was driving and I don't remember 22 days out of 30 days, I just literally wanted to kill myself and I I believe in Christ that even, you know, because my upbringing and I couldn't do it. In my head, I justified it as okay, if I drink myself to death, I'm not committing suicide like shooting myself or your know, OD or something. That's how I justified it. but I just I just wanted it all to end. And I wound up in Portland, Oregon, and it, the ironic part is it's the funny story. Uh, a gentleman just walked by me. I'm sitting in a, in a park, and he walked by. He says, you know, you don't have to live like that. And I'm just wondering, well, who's this guy? Well, what, he don't know nothing about me. And mind you, I'm dressed decent. I'm not, you know, a, a dirty and, you know, as yeah. people on the on the street. I try to keep myself together. because Just because somebody's on the street, you shouldn't have to look that way. Right. And so he said, there's a place right there. You can go get help. And it was the Union Gospel Mission in Portland, Oregon. So I sat there for a minute, and I went in, filled out an application, they said, it'll take three to five days. They said, you can come back. Well, I left there and went to a bar three doors down and started drinking, (laughs) of course. Because if I'm gonna go into this place, I need to get, you know. (laughs) Might as well have my last fling. Ironic part about that, uh, Pastor, is um, I went back to the hotel I had, because I still had money, and got my stuff and came to Sacramento. I've never been to Sacramento. (laughs) Don't ask me how, why. Oh, I'm glad you did. You know, the funny thing is that was God brought me exactly where I am to be exactly. He knew where I was going to be.
0: Yeah, I believe in a sovereign God.
2: You know, and I called the mission here and I was on down my last like 38 bucks or something. The hotel I got down on Jim Bowie at the Motel 6 was just about up. And I called the last day, the seventh day, and Jerry said, come down. We got a bed open. You better hurry. And I came down, and everything else is history. God God already knew. He had that plan for me. And nine years, eight years later, here we are at the radio station.
0: Well, it's what you and I have talked about many times is, and I've always said, and you've probably heard it said too, that, if you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans, because His plans and your <laughs> plans usually don't coincide. And He's got His ways are not our ways, and His ways are much higher than our ways. And so uh, we think we've got it under control, but the minute that anything happens, we lose total control of everything here because we never were in control. But the the best thing is, we serve a God who is in control. Amen. And so, yeah, I mean, alcohol is a funny thing. And I'm not trying to say that you, you know, that you're prohibited from drinking alcohol. We are. But I got to tell you that uh, after I left commercial air conditioning and, and I used to drink and sometimes I drank too much. And I owned an air conditioning company and I was making money. I was doing all those things. And. And after 20 years, I left uh, the air conditioning. and went to work for a large company. And we went to San Francisco to uh, the Hilton Hotel there. The company paid for it. There was a lot of us, a couple hundred, more than a couple hundred, 350. Uh, and so we were there. And I have a friend. And he says he listens to this show, but now we're going to find out. His name is Steve Cook, and he's been a friend of mine for a long time. I think he does... Uh, custom blinds or something now, but he used to work with me at this large company, which had nothing to do with custom blinds. It was an insurance company, and uh, the bar was a was just down in the hotel of the Hilton Hotel. And the only two guys in the whole place that didn't drink were Steve and I, you know. And and Steve had an occasional glass of wine, but but we didn't have anything to drink that night, and and so about. I don't know we watched the whole group of people descend into chaos there were men trying to pick up the the women that they had worked with and all kinds of, of just really horrible things going on and these were people that otherwise you would look at and think oh they're okay but alcohol deadens the senses and makes us do things we would not normally do and those things are latent they're hidden in us but we hold them off alcohol takes that away and not in a good way and so the good news for steve and i was the next day we didn't have hangovers (laughs) bad news for steve was i went out the back door of the hilton hotel with him and we found a dive restaurant and (laughs) and you know the other side of the hilton outside of union square It's not a good area. (laughs) But the bottom line is, the other thing I wanted to tell you is, my father was a pharmacist in South Carolina, and he had the opportunity for three great big pharmacies right there in Spartanburg, which was huge. I mean, that was a huge opportunity. But he felt that drinking was more important than infidelity. And I'm only telling you this because even though I saw what alcohol did to my family as a child— You know my brother my older brother hated my father because when he was drinking he he could be mean and so but that wasn't enough warning for me not to drink as a young man so now that brings me to why I don't drink today God's plan was for me to someday be in this position at the Union Gospel Mission and no staff member is allowed to drink at the Union Gospel Mission and uh, most of all not the director of the mission But when I became a pastor, called a little bit later in life than some, that I had seen a man who purported to be a man of God performing a wedding, and at the rehearsal dinner, he had absolutely gotten drunk. I was disgusted by the whole thing and thought, this is a guy that's supposed to be a holy man of God? Now, mind you, none of us are holy. None of us are good. God alone is good, and God alone is holy. However. He expects his people, and when he indwells his people, there's a standard by which they attempt to live, and this guy didn't even try. And I said, funny enough, because at that moment I wasn't called into the ministry, I said, if I was ever a pastor, I'd never have another drink. Here's why. Not because I think that having a drink sending me to hell or even that I'm going to become an alcoholic, because I don't want some younger person, some kid in the church to look at the pastor and say, well, the pastor drinks, or somebody like my friend Tim over here, who's had a problem with alcohol, to look at the pastor and say, well, if the pastor can drink at the barbecue, then it should be okay to me. If you're a pastor out there, you don't feel that way, I got it. I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. And so from that day on, the minute that I was licensed to the ministry, and that's been a long time ago now, I have never had another drink, and I don't miss it. And if I ever am no longer the pastor, guess what? I'm still not drinking. And I haven't missed it one single bit. But I have seen over the course of the years at the Union Gospel Mission the destruction that it has wreaked on people, like my friend Tim here. Amen. So— Do you think that, you know, we don't believe that if you were an alcoholic and you're saved by the grace of God that you're still an alcoholic. No, you're redeemed of God, right? Amen. But should a person who was once an alcoholic, who was once a drinker, ever mess around with it? No.
2: There should be no reason to. That's the whole thing. People, I believe, drink for reasons. I don't think people just decide, okay, I'm getting up, I'm going to drink today for no absolutely no reason. Right, I believe that. So, I believe there's a reason that we do that. Well, you know what? When you give your life to Christ, Christ is the reason you don't want to drink. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. You, that's the reason. My problem was loneliness and companionship and things of that nature. When I accepted Christ back in my life, that was my that is my companion. That is the person I go to that takes away some of the loneliness. You know, so I don't have to fill that with a drink no more. I just can open the Bible. I can get into the Word. I can get on my knees. I can go to Him in prayer, and He will make it okay. I don't need to rely on a drink to help me forget I'm lonely or help me forget, you know, I'm behind on a bill or help me forget, you know, that a friend of mine, you know, has gotten, we got an argument. I don't have to forget no more. God has instilled in me a way to deal with the situations now that present themselves. I don't no longer have to rely on a drink to forget. Because at the end of the day, when you, a person, myself, when I drink, that problem is always there and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So you're constantly drinking and drinking and drinking to just try to alleviate some of that pain, if that's what it is. And um, you and I have talked and, you know, God has gave me a sense of purpose. I have a purpose today. Amen. You do have a purpose. And being at this mission, it just fills me. I have peace. When I go home, I, I go to sleep because I have peace. I did all I could do, and I didn't do it to tap myself on the back. I did it for God's
0: glory. Amen. Because in the end, that's all that's ever going to count In. Anyway. Amen. Uh, and And you're right drinking or taking drugs. It's the same philosophy. When you try to escape, you, you can't escape yourself. And you know what? When God drew me, when God graced me, when he pulled me out of, of the sewer of this life and, and said, you are my child, I, I can never repay that to begin with. And he's not even asking that I repay anything because he knows that it's beyond my capability as it was beyond my capability to save myself. Who seeks God? Nobody seeks God. He draws us. Amen. And so when I see people so lightly on TV taking drugs and alcohol and I'll do this and I'll do that, I just need a little bit of relief here. No, you're really not getting any relief there. It's it postpones for a moment. And by the way, when you start off that way, the first drink, you say, okay, that relieves some of my pain. But by about the third and fourth drink, you're starting to feel all that pain. Only now you are you are also got this alcohol, which is releasing all these horrible anger and and feeling bad and all those kind of things. And so that my friends is never the answer. You know, somebody told me one time, who was not a Christian, he said, the only time you should drink is when you're happy. (laughs) And by that, what he meant was, you you should never pick up a a glass of of beer, wine, or alcohol to console yourself. You should only do it if you're happy. Oh, I don't agree with that either. But the bottom line is, I do agree with the first part. Don't pick up a glass of wine because you're sad. Don't take that beer because you're feeling bad. That is, that is a recipe for disaster. And not only that, it lowers your inhibitions. You're going to go out. You're going to get drunk. You're going to drive that car. You're going to hurt somebody or get arrested. And I'm not trying to say reform yourself. The answer to all these things is found between the pages of that book that we Amen. call the Holy Bible. Amen. And it is found only in the sovereignty of God. It is found only in his peace when we come to peace with him. And as I said to the guys a few weeks ago, because we've been at war with God since the Garden of Eden. And you may not think you are, but you are. And so the mission is a place where we can tell guys you can find the relief that you never had. And you can find it in Christ Jesus, right? Amen. Was there ever a time in your life before Christ you truly could say, not happy, because you had happy times, brother? Sure. How about joyful times? No,
2: never. No, I, I, I never I never did. And I want to share with everyone, when I say I've drunk for many years, I've drank for many years because I had to. Mm-hmm. It becomes a part, I have to drink to get myself up in the morning to sure. go to work. Mm-hmm. So I don't shake Mm -hmm. violently from DTs and withdrawals Mm -hmm. so no I've never had joy and never had peace and like you said the mission where else can you go and work on yourself for nine months and cost you nothing Mm -hmm. that's the part that blew me away when you guys says you know don't cost nothing (laughs) I was absolutely blown away because I didn't have anything Mm -hmm. all I had was myself And thank God to the donors that keep the mission doors open because I wasn't that person on the street, but I was going to be at that person on the street. Mm -hmm. You know, if God didn't intervene, I'd have been just another guest coming in, getting a haircut, coming, getting a shower, come, getting clothes every day. Amen. That would have been me. Mm
0: -hmm. You know what? We don't realize how how our hearts are so deceived by the world by its riches and its joy it's its jewels and the bright lights and everything and we think we have joy because we experience once in a while happiness but happiness is always contingent on your circumstances and when your circumstances are terrible then there is no no happiness but the believer can have joy so far down in their hearts that even in the worst of things, even when Paul said, you know, <laughs> I'm talking to you from a jail cell, well, his room, but, you know. Tim, we're we're down to one minute. Anything you'd like to say to the folks?
2: No, i just like to say thank you for allowing the mission to be a place of transformation for a person like myself and everyone else that seeks re- uh, rest, uh, reef
0: recovery yes recovery thank you very much Mm -hmm. and and that's true because like i said there may not be thousands of people who come in through the doors in a year and go out happy and joyful but you know what that person who is truly seeking and and by the way so much of it is attributed to you answering the call of God. And so, as always, my dearest friends, until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand.
1: Nowhere to live, nowhere to fall. He used to have money, but he's wasted it all. Face is a
0: photograph burned in my mind But I pretend not to see him for the 21st time
1: You've been listening to Voices from the Street, the radio ministry of the Sacramento Union Gospel Mission. If your heart's been touched and you want to know more about the work of the mission, log on to ugmsac.com. To donate clothing, food, time, or financial help, call 916-447-3268. 916-447-3268. Thank you so much for listening. Join us again next week at the same time for Voices from the Street.
2: am the body drink of the wine. But I not to see him for the 21st time.